welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts, and Drilling Deep is the place among those FreightCasts where we talk about oil and diesel, because no truck is getting very far without either. We also talked to our guest of the week today. That's Michael Lemke. He's a former truck driver. We've had him here on Drilling Deep in the past. Trucker health has long been his focus from his perch at the University of Houston downtown, and he wants to know why truck drivers aren't near the top of the list to get their COVID-19 vaccination, given the amount of travel they do all around the country. We'll talk to him in a couple of minutes. But first, as we always do, let's talk about oil. If we go back and look for the date at which the pandemic started hitting oil markets, the reality is that oil reacted to the first news out of China way before any other market did. That makes perfect sense. The prospect of any sort of virus spreading around the world was going to be felt first in the market for jet fuel for obvious reasons. Diesel, of course, as we said before, is a middle distillate. So is jet fuel. So a contract, a commodity contract for diesel is going to effectively be kind of a proxy for jet fuel as well. So even just isolating China alone was going to knock out a huge chunk of jet demand for planes going in and out of that country. So that fateful day was January 24th of last year. That's January 24th, 2020. The price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange had closed a day earlier at 1.7916 per gallon. The next day, it dropped about 5.7 cents. And the day after that, it dropped another 5.4 cents. And suddenly, the price of diesel on the Commodity Exchange was more than 11 cents below where it had been just two days earlier. You know, as a sort of numbers geek and an oil geek, I could start to go a little crazy sometimes looking at numbers and the whole this is the first time since sort of thing. So I did get a little overly excited this week when the price of diesel on the CME crossed over that level where it stood after those two big drops I mentioned. I thought maybe we can declare this moment the time when we erase the full pandemic declines, but we still we still have a little ways to go. It should be noted when you look back on those numbers from January of last year that maybe the market at first thought things had overreacted after those two big declines. The next day, it added about 3.6 cents. So it's fascinating to look back now on the volatility of the diesel market in January and February 2020 and see that traders were not fully accepting the idea of a major hit to demand coming from this new virus. In fact, the price of diesel on CME actually settled above 170 one day even after that decline I talked about. But that didn't happen until February 19th. And after that, it was all down, 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 with prices dropping below $1 in early April, not crossing that dollar mark again until June. So yes, the fact that it's back uh, above near the levels where it was when the pandemic first hit is sort of notable. Note that the price of diesel on the commodity exchange opened 2020 at a level above $2 per gallon. So we've still got a long way to go right here at about uh, about $1.60, right under $1.70. So we're knocking on that $1.70 price. So we're still not back to that day in January where the market settled at close to $1.80 per gallon when we had no real idea about what ter- world turmoil lay ahead of it. But we're getting close. And as a result of these gains in the commodity market, we tacked on the 13th consecutive week of increases in the DOA EIA average weekly retail price this past week. We stand now at 2.738 per gallon. That 13-week run is one of the longest in the history of the data series. That goes back to 1994. Given what the market has done this week so far, as I'm recording this, I'd say a 14th consecutive week increase is probably in the offing. 
Inventories in the U.S. of all distillates took a sharp downturn in the report released this week by the USA EIA. They'd been expanding, but that's sort of normal for this time of year, given that the distillate numbers include heating oil as well as diesel. Still, they had expanded more than you would have expected. Their tightening is another bullish step in the diesel market as it continues to climb. We are going to turn our attention now on drilling deep to the question of truck drivers and vaccination against COVID-19. Michael Lemke is a former driver who is now a PhD. He's on the faculty of the University of Houston downtown, where he focuses on trucking and in particular issues of truckers' health. Michael has been a guest on Drilling Deep before. Michael, it's certainly glad to have you back. It's great to be back. Thank you. So you recently had a paper published in an academic journal, and in the paper, you called for truck drivers to get moved up on the list of, of those qualifying for the COVID-19 vaccination. Uh, what has driven you to do this? Uh, I think a lot of people were kind of surprised when they saw that uh, that truck drivers were not there, just given all the traveling they do and the, they could be carrying the virus around. So why do you think they weren't on the list? And uh, what do you think is going to need to be due to get them on that list? So I think the thing that drove me to want to write the paper was just the disparity of Seeing these news announcements about, oh, the first vaccine is moving out now. How exciting for the for the country, for the world. And who's carrying the vaccine but a truck. So there's this vital mechanism there where nobody gets a vaccine without truck drivers. And honestly, I didn't, I wouldn't really hadn't been paying a lot of attention to the order of priority. I kind of figured that I was pretty low down the list, but I decided to see who was getting what when. And I saw truck drivers weren't really included. And to me, I found it a little bit shocking, A, because they are potentially um, so important to anyone getting it because they're a key mechanism in, in the distribution of vaccines in the first place. But also, they've been so relied on throughout the pandemic and they've been left out. So to me, I wanted to just do something to bring attention to the matter, um, and especially right now with you know the political change. Um, new leadership in the DOT, for example, the new, the Biden administration. I think that there's sort of this uh, point right now where there's the possibility of changing policy around um, around a lot of things, but especially um, how we the the strategy that's um, enacted by the nation to combat coronavirus. And I think I'm just hoping that somebody sees it. There's a little bit of attention paid to it, and that they make a change to to do us right. Um, I'm not sure how many drivers would actually want to get it from what I've seen from other surveys, not a lot of drivers necessarily want to get it, but I don't know if that would change um, if they were given to it. But I think regardless, they they've earned it. Um, and I think from a public uh, health policy strategy standpoint, we need them on the road for, for not just vaccines, but for everything. So if that mechanism is lost and nobody gets a vaccine. Yeah. You've done a lot of issue on truckers health and I've seen some of the same things that you have which suggested a fairly deep skepticism on the part of a lot of drivers about getting this vaccine. Given the work you've done on driver's health, the fact that you were out there on the road with them as a driver yourself, where does that skepticism come from? You know, I think I, I had another paper I wrote um, earlier last year that I think, um, I don't know, if, I think we might have discussed it last time potentially, but I think it's driven by um, a neglect and not only public health policies, but policies in general to help drivers. I think there's just a lot of skepticism um, based on history, based on government interactions over time. Most drivers tend, at least in my experience, and I know when I was a driver, I didn't see it as the government as sort of an entity meant to help me, but more to sort of, you know, make sure I'm not doing anything bad, nor more of like a nanny kind of position than, than, a, than a helper. 
And so I think for a lot of drivers, there's a lot of skepticism. I'm not going to get into any of the potential political beliefs of drivers. I don't know a lot about that. That could also play a role. But, you know, I I do want to say that um, an argument against moving drivers up based on whether they would be wanting to get it isn't viable, I don't think. Because you see those same patterns in a lot of groups among other populations where they've had that same history of poor interactions with the government. So I think that argument isn't sufficient to justify moving drivers down, keeping them in phase. I think they're going to be in phase one C right now. I don't think that's a, that's a viable argument. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, there's becomes a mood issue because if we operate under the assumption that eventually there'll be enough vaccines for everybody, then, then everybody can get them at any time. Um, yeah. But when when it comes time for truck drivers to get vaccinated, what's the best way to do it? Obviously, this is not the kind of a profession where everybody's home every day and they can just trot down to their local doctor or some kind of health clinic. You're talking about people who are roaming all over the country. Yeah. What is the best way to get a shot in their arm? You know, I think um, each from my, what I understand, each state is handling a little bit differently. Um, so uh, but I I believe that it, it involves making an appointment. So. And that way, it's fortunate for drivers because they can make an appointment during their home time to go and actually get that vaccine then. Um, But I think that right now, um, you have to basically prove that you're within that group that is currently authorized to get it. You can't just pull up and say you want one. Well, Um, I can't. I got to think if they pulled up in an 18 wheeler, that would be kind of pretty good proof, don't you think? Yeah, that would be. Absolutely. That's why it's important that they're moved up. And if they're moved up, then it's I think it'd be especially important for drivers companies to get involved and and provide on site. You know, for example, if you work for a nationwide company, you're going to have multiple terminals across the country. When I was a long haul truck driver, I would try to stop at these terminals. You were encouraged to. <clears throat> so having these um, these vaccine sites on site is going to be so important. And I know that eventually um, into the pandemic, um, there were um, companies that actually started doing on site testing at truck stops. Um, low contact. They would they would uh, I believe text whenever your results are ready. You could wait in your truck. So I think that there's those kind of mechanisms that would have to be put into place because. As you know, mo- as most drivers know, there's it's really hard to access healthcare when you're on the road. You, I mean, there are a few truck stops I can think of where they have sort of clinics in them, but it's really rare. So once that authorization passes and once drivers are within that phase of essential workers that are going to get it, I think it's imperative that trucking companies, um, that truck stop companies, all these places where these v- vaccines could actually be distributed, they need to work together to make sure that it rolls out smoother than a lot of the vaccine stuff has happened so far. Yeah, you just wonder, in some ways, we're right at the beginning of the vaccination. In some ways, I kind of almost feel like we're deep into it. I know we're not deep into it in terms of number of shots, but you know, how fast could a trucking company or a truck stop company put something together at this point? You would have thought that they would have been working on this months ago. Yeah, and it's possible they already have been. I think for a, a lot of trucking companies, I, w- I would guess. I mean, I know that there's a whole thing about the driver shortage. They want to do, th- I would suspect that companies want to do the right thing for their drivers, not just to keep them on the road, but as a good faith effort um, to show that their health matters. And this is a great way for companies to do it. And I suppose that one positive out of drivers being lower on the priority list is that it could give time for these companies to have a plan in place so they can enact it once they once they're actually given, uh, given those vaccines to give out. Um, so I, I think that that strategy has to be developed now um, so that whenever drivers are made available, those vaccines, they can get them out um, quickly and effectively. So, you know, you would think that 
a profession that whose members drive all over the country and if they were if they were carrying virus could spread it all over the country would have shot right to the top of the list of people to be vaccinated can you guess why i mean can you guess why they didn't yeah so you know i think uh part of it it, it depends on sort of your perspective on why certain people should get it versus others now compared to for example phase 1a which was i believe people in assisted care facilities and medical professionals as a balance of exposure and a balance of risk should you get sick <clears throat> so i think that both of those decisions go into it um now what's really shocking and this is what i think guided the essential workers that are given it during this current this phase 1b is that is based on how many people that these workers are exposed to on a regular basis. And all things being equal, a truck driver isn't exposed to as many people per day as, say, uh, someone who works in a grocery store as a cashier. But I think what is missing in that argument is the fact that how important is a single infected person to spreading the disease as a whole? And I think for truck drivers, well, maybe they aren't as likely on an individual basis to have exposure to the va- to the virus as other workers might be in that in that current phase, but if they do get sick, they could travel thousands of miles during that time and expose people all across these vast geographies. And they do encounter a lot of people, especially in truck stops, in warehouses, when they go home for home time. So I think that they're kind of missing the point a little bit in that. How important is one affected individual, um, not just in terms of how many people they interact, but the geography of those interactions? And I think that's where truck drivers really stand out. Um, so I think that was sort of the, the thinking in that. But I think that they're missing a key point. And honestly, a lot of this goes back to um, just a lack of knowledge about truck driver health in general. To my understanding, there haven't been any studies looking at the role of truck drivers in the spread of the disease, not any epidemiological studies. I'm trying to work on a little something right now, uh, but that's you know going to be down the road before we know anything. So it just reflects an overall lack of uh, knowledge about driver health that's been going on for decades and continues to go on. Yeah, when you think about it, the, the truck driver in terms of the ability to spread the virus is, is at two extremes. On the one hand, when they're all alone in their cab for 400 miles over the course of a day, they're as, as socially distanced as you can be. And on the other hand, they do stop at truck stops, which are highly populated with a lot of people, transient people. You know, I say transient, just people passing through, as well as people on docks and that sort of thing. So it, it, there's nothing in the middle here. You know, yeah. they're, either, they're either great in terms of not being able to spread the disease or they're terrible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's one thing that most people think, okay, their workplaces are truck cabs, so they're not encountering people. That's not really true, though, because they're going in truck stops, rest areas, warehouses, company terminals. They're they're encountering enough people to where I think it's a, a really plausible um, spread. And to me, um, going back to my earlier point, if there was an issue with um, COVID within driver communities that can affect the ability of anyone to get vaccines. So to me, thinking in terms of how do we maintain that system that's going to enable vaccination of the entire population, I think the priority should be protecting those mechanisms and truck drivers. I mean, they're right there. They're, they're absolutely essential. Um, and yet they're moved down the list. What sense do you get of how badly COVID has affected the truck driving community? How many People have gotten sick. And, you know, I'm sure there's not one number out there, but what, what, what have you heard, whether it's either hard statistics or anecdotal evidence 
about how hard it's hit the community. I know drivers are worried um, from the ones I've heard from. Uh, what's really interesting, and, and again, this goes back to what we were talking about before with that sort of mistrust. For drivers, they might be afraid to report that because they don't want to be taken off the road. There aren't really any actionable ways when they're on the road to get help in the way most of us could. So most of us who work a regular nine to five, we could we could get tested, we get quarantined, we're at home. But a driver, they could experience symptoms hundreds, thousands of miles away from home. And they're like, I don't want to get tested. If I get a positive test, I'm stuck out here. I'm going to be in my truck cab for a week and a half, two weeks at a time. Um, they're... I think for most drivers, we don't really know because they probably don't want to get tested because there really isn't a lot that they could do even with a positive test. Now, speaking very generally and just based on my assumptions, I can't say for sure, um, but I haven't heard of any major outbreaks among drivers, but I also think that there are a population where you would be less likely to know if there was one, um, especially with the lack of testing facilities on the road as well. Um, so I think all of that has kind of um, made it difficult to ascertain the, the how common it is among driver populations. You touched on this earlier, but what do you think of the role of the companies here? Yeah, you know, people, I don't want to demonize companies. Companies are out there to make a profit. That's the reason they exist. And I know companies have tried to change their their approach. Um, and I think that that isn't in line with um, really what has been common in a lot of industries right now. Um, where it's a lot of learning as you go. Uh, you don't really know how to combat something that's so different. And I think that's going to be one positive to come out of the the whole pandemic will be the fact that we're going to have a better idea how to respond next time. And I think with how closely people, um, I mean, you have the growing world population, you have increased uh, international travel up until, you know, last year. I think that the next pandemic is going to be closer down the road um, that maybe a lot of people realize. So I think that'll be a learning experience right now, not just for trucking companies, but I think for the industry as a whole. Now, it's pretty impressive that these supply chains haven't really broken down with everything going on. So I think that shows a lot about the, the viability of, of um, transportation networks and companies. So that's been a really positive thing. But I think companies, I mean, listen, they're out there to make a profit. There have been stories about companies um, potentially not wanting those disease results to be known. They don't want terminals shut down, that kind of stuff. Um, I think I read about that, especially in like warehousing, um, that that sector um, of, of uh, tra the transportation industry. Um, but I think that, I mean, they're, they're trying to make it as they can. Um, but at the same time, they don't want their drivers off the road. So it's, we need, we need to know these things and we just don't, unfortunately. Let's go to the broader issue of truck driver health. I know that's an area that you specialized in. Um, does it drive you to despair sometimes? This is must be really an uphill battle for somebody concerned with this. Uh, that you're dealing with a you're dealing with a profession that even the most healthy members uh, will are going to have a tough time eating right, exercising on a somewhat adequate basis. Uh, you are you're really pushing a rock uphill. Uh, how is that level of despair in dealing with this issue for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy. Um, there's so many issues inherent to the occupation. And, and honestly, for me, the most despairing thing would be that it's an occupation, especially for long haul truck driver, you're going to be on the road, you're going to be away from family. Um, <clears throat> even with things like Zoom and, and Skype, you're, you're not getting that same experience. So honestly, to me, the most disheartening thing is that there are parts of the job that are just inescapable. 
And some drive people really like that part of it. I know when I was a driver, I was in my early mid twenties. You know, I didn't have family back at home other than just you know my parents. So there were really great things about being on the road. Um, but at the same time, I know for most drivers, it can be difficult being away from away from home, away from family. So there are certain elements of the job that you can't fix. Now, I think that there are encouraging things as well. I think that a lot of these problems that we talk about aren't insolvable. Providing healthy food, providing physical activity, um, trying to increase some of that um, that social interaction, um, trying to reduce that social isolation. Um, I think those are things that are addressable, but I think it's going to take you know a quorum of people to say we need to change, we need to work together as a whole. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm hoping that the the pandemic will have several unexpected positive outcomes, and I'm hoping one of those will be revisiting driver health. And I to me, I, the oh, vaccine trend and everything, like not not prioritizing them is disheartening as well because it shows that even still after all they've done this past year, they're still not being acknowledged for how important they are. And I know it's not, I know the decision is not based on wanting to, um, you know, wanting to exclude drivers, you know, on any sort of vicious basis. But I think it's just another pattern of health professionals not understanding how important drivers are to, to um, the pandemic, to the entire country's functioning, and not understanding the epidemiology of some of the diseases within the population. I think the last time we spoke, you talk, told me about the Facebook group Trucking Runners, Truckers Who Run. Was that you who told me about that? Because I did join it. Oh, so yeah. It's been, yeah. Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch. So, uh, But let me just ask you on broader issues of driver health. What would be some of the most basic recommendations you can give that are driver specific? I mean, for example, something like don't smoke, that's for everybody. That's not just for drivers. But what about for drivers? Any any kind of, no, no pun intended here, rules of the road? Um, get on a dedicated account. <laughs> That'd probably be my best advice because that's really the only way that I was able to do it. When I was driving dedicated, I had a, a more regular schedule. I was home a lot more. I could, I could meal plan for on the road. Um you know, for drivers, I think it's it's so difficult to want to give advice because I think that's drivers know the challenges out there and, and they're doing their best. Um, I know when I was a driver during the training, they would give these, you know, little sessions where they talk about nutrition on the road, physical activity. And I always kind of rolled my eyes. Um, but I think the, the main advice I could give, and this is true, not only for drivers, but of a lot of different approaches to improving people's health is just try different stuff. Just keep trying stuff until it sticks. Um, I think that it's so difficult to, to lay out one plan for any group of people or even one driver, but try joining different groups, try walking where you can running, try changing your routine. Just, just try different stuff. And so you figure out things that, that fit things that you enjoy, things that you actually can do after a long day on the road and I know, you know, especially when I was driving over the road after a, you know, 11 hour day driving through Pennsylvania and making three stops. And, you know, I just, I wanted to get in my truck and go in and get a burger and, you know, watch a movie in my cab and relax. I didn't, I did not have the energy or, or the care to want to be healthy. So, like I said, I think drivers just need to try, just try things. If they don't work, that's fine. But at least that way you might find something that, that could be beneficial to you. All right. We want to thank Michael Lemke for joining us here today on Drilling Deep with his call for truckers to move up the list of those who need to be vaccinated in this country. Uh, we hope that you and others are successful in your quest. 
So, Michael, thank you again for joining us on Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is the place among the Freight Cash family of podcasts where we talk about lots of things. We are part of the, that Freight Cast. I'm your host, John Kingston. Please join us again.